Here we go, guys. Welcome in. You are watching State of the Family Courts. It is Thursday, September 16th, and I am your host, Mark Real. And tonight we are here with our special guest, California attorney, David Pizarra. David, how are we doing tonight? Awesome, Mark. I'm so glad to be here. I'm really excited about talking to the Father's Rights Movement. Thank you. Thank you. So for those of you that don't know who David is, he, he's someone who... Uh, over 20 years now of representing men in family court in California um, and has been involved in a, a lot of different things that have helped move, uh, move father's rights forward. Um, so, David, I'll let you kind of introduce yourself, a little bit of background uh, for the people. Happy, happy to. You know, it's great to be here. You know, I'm really excited to see the father's rights movement putting out a podcast like this and, and getting back on Facebook Lives and really engaging the community. It's, it's really exciting because there's so much need for dads to actually band together and find the support to, to really get what they need going into court. And, and so often what I found, because I've been practicing law for 20 plus years now, and the majority of that is dealing with men in family courts. And the one thing that I found is the majority of men get into a relationship and they lose all of their friends and they lose their social network. And then whether it's two years or five years or 15 years down the road, all of a sudden they're going through a breakup and they're fighting over their kid and they're emotionally distraught because their world's blown up. They've been cut off at the knees with no money and no access to their kids and they've been kicked out of their house. And they realize like, oh, crap, I have no friends. Like, I don't know who to talk to. And so those emotions just get buried and stuffed. And then it comes out sideways and it comes out in anger or a snarky comment that gets used against you going into court in a custody battle. So it's, it's just this mess of like emotions and anger and law and strategy. And so when I see like the father's rights movement getting their act together, and really coming together as a community and building something for men, it's really exciting to me because when I represent a guy, if he has his act together emotionally, it's so much easier and better going in court. And if they're just emotional and scared and angry. So, yeah, definitely, definitely. Thank you for that. My pleasure. So, tonight, be a little bit of an interesting episode, I guess you could say. Um, David and I obviously both uh, representing men in, in Southern California. Um, so we'll, we'll do our normal thing here and hop into be, to the state-specific rules, the state-specific laws, and what we see really on the ground in the state of California. So to start things off, uh, I always cite the National Parents Organization, their grades of the state laws. Um, California grades out as a D, um, one of the worst in the country uh, in terms of statutorily how, how the laws are written. So um, I'll start out with this because I always find this interesting. Um, so you've been at this for 20 years. What have you seen? What is different now? than say 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. So when I started in 1999, realistically, um, we'd get a divorce case in and I'd get a call from the other side or I'd call the other side and I'd be like, hey, um, yeah, I'm coming into this case. Um, why don't we work out a discovery plan and do some exchanges of tax returns and credit card statements and come up with a strategy to get this case over with and get this family kind of separated. Mm -hmm. And um, over the course of 20 years, that, that has gone from what was originally a fairly civilized process of two lawyers representing their clients, trying to work in the best interest of the family to global thermonuclear war out the gate. And, and, and I attribute this to the expansion of domestic violence. And, and that I trace all the way back to the death of Nicole Brown Simpson. And that was a real watershed moment in the history of domestic violence in our country and, and certainly in California. It, it engaged the, the domestic violence lobby and the domestic violence shelters to get new law, to do something about this. And this is where bad law comes out of bad cases. Um, and, and what ended up happening was we went from one extreme of, you know, unless there's like a real physical violence, there's no domestic violence, it's a family matter. The courts don't do anything, cops don't do anything. And it's expanded now to the other extreme where 20 years later, it's 
you know, you're not letting me know exactly how you're spending every dollar and that's coercive control. And I feel like I'm being financially abused in this relationship. So I want a restraining order and I want custody of the kids and I want to kick you out of the house and I want rebuttable presumption of the kids under 3044 and, 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 and it's global thermonuclear war. Let's cut you off with the knees. It's divorced by ambush. And, yeah. and so, so we, we, that, that's the progression I have seen from, you know, to use a, a colloquial term that was that would be politically incorrect, but fuck, I don't care. Um, it was a gentleman's game. People acted with civility. And 20 years later, there is very little civility. It is global thermonuclear war. Here's my 500 discovery requests, and I'm kicking you out of the house. Yeah, I think that, that um, and we talked about this before I, uh, before we came live, um, I know a good chunk of my practice is domestic violence restraining orders. I would say that probably 70, at least 70% of my clients have either um, had a domestic violence restraining order filed against them, mm -hmm. or they come to me and they've already had one granted. And um, I, I give, I give men um, in the initial consultation, I, I tell them like legitimately in the state of California, you can send a couple of mean texts and end up slapped with a domestic violence restraining order. Um, Particularly with this new definition of coercive control as grounds for a domestic violence restraining order, I don't even know what coercive control means. <clears throat> I'm fluent as a lawyer in English and I don't understand what that means. Because coercive control, is that like when one partner starts dressing really sexy and gets the other partner interested but then withhold sex because they want to get something from the other partner. That sounds very coercive and controlling to me, but is that going to qualify? I don't know. I mean, it's, yes. it's, it's, it's a wild west. And, and the other thing that I think is really sad that I think more men need to be aware of that I have been beating the drum on for 15 years now is men need to man up and get restraining orders themselves. I would say the vast bulk of the men that I have represented who have been painted as the perpetrators were also victims. That, that frequently the reason why they're perpetrating is because they were victims and they were victims and they were victims and they were victims. And, were victims. and then they snapped and they said something stupid or they did something stupid or they threw a bottle against a wall and bam, you're now the abuser. I'm taking control, kicking out of the, out of the house. Yeah, I, I have a mentor who's a mental health professional who he talks about there. There's studies out there that a lot of times men are victims of physical domestic violence upwards of 15 times before they report. Now, on the other hand, women are usually victims of domestic violence five to six times. So obviously an issue both ways, but a lot of times men keep their mouth shut. And as soon as something happens, the woman runs to the courthouse and the temporary restraining order almost always gets granted. Um, I think I always have to tell clients that come in with TROs. Like, I mean, if an attorney filed it in all likelihood, it's going to get granted. Um, yeah. I, I don't know what you call it in our office. We call it the magic words. Yeah. Do, do you know the magic words? Cause if you know the magic words and you put them in the declaration, that thing's going to get granted Yeah. because no judge is going to run the risk that, oh, I didn't grant it and somebody got kill, killed or attacked and they had the opportunity for protection and the, and the judge denied it. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I, I tell clients. I mean, it's it's the safe play to just go ahead and grant it. You throw okay. some vague allegations in there and you're going to have to go three weeks with without seeing your kids. And yeah. that hearing in three weeks is going to be essentially fighting for your parental rights life in a sense because of totally. what 3044 does totally and the one that 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 mo that i think so many men really misunder to quote george bush misunderestimate is the phrase when they have a little girl that mom will put in i am afraid dad is fingering the baby when he's changing her diaper Bam, that's an immediate guarantee. We're, we're issuing a restraining order. We're going to call DEFS. We're doing the investigation. The social worker is going to be involved. And God help you. Yeah. And it's it's all it is. I mean, if you, if you really break it down, the important part there is the words, I'm afraid. 
Like that's it. That's all it takes. And you can put anything after that and boom, it's going to get issued. Yeah. That, I, I, I've seen that firsthand. I had, I guess this talks to both of your points. I, I've had cases where it does get started with that domestic violence restraining order. You get to court you end up having conversations with opposing counsel and nobody really wants to litigate anything. You come to a deal. And then I had an instance recently where the woman then went out and fired her attorney and the new attorneys came in and filed a new restraining order on top of the one that we'd already pulled the children out of because it was just hearsay allegations. Yeah. So it it was, it was essentially the woman ended up going fishing for an attorney who was willing to make it litigious. Sure. Because there is that there, there is very much that element of, I want a bulldog attorney to defend my rights, to go in there and beat them up and get me everything I want. And and the sad part is, is that if you're the man on the other side of that, you're along for the ride, dude. Like Mm -hmm. I would love to tell you that like, Oh, I can go toe to toe with them. Yeah. I can go toe to toe with them. Doesn't mean we're not going to have the fight. I can't shut down the other side when they want to fight. I I tell clients it takes two to tango. Like your best option is for us to negotiate a deal is for the parents to make decisions, not the judge to make decisions. And, but at the end of the day, if both parties aren't willing to play, you're going to have to go in front of the judge for what could be every little thing. Exactly. And I've got one of those cases right now. We're in front of the judge on literally every little thing. It is stupid, but I can't get the other side to move on anything. So we're going to court. <laughs> yeah, which uh, and I think the, the, the one I, I always struggle with is that a lot of times the, the attorneys will file for attorney's fees early in the case. And I think they, they sell their client on the fact that he makes more money than you. So we can keep litigating this out and I'm going to get him to have to pay. Right. Um, so. I think I, 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 I'm starting to see that more and more of just, it gets thrown out there. I even had a case, I, I kind of caught opposing counsel. The woman made three times what the man did and they right. filed, they filed their normal stuff for getting attorney's fees. And I'm like, my client's a stay at home dad who, who works part-time from home. You have a, a mid six figures executive client. Flip it on her, get the money out of her. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, in terms of and, and going back to kind of the, the change, obviously, it's, it's become more litigious. You have the weaponization of essentially 3044, which I always tell people is probably one of the worst five statutory laws in the United States just because of how it's used now and, right. and how much conflict it creates. What have you seen in the ter- in terms of you're in L.A. County? So I, I guess I'll take a step back. So in California, anytime you are going to go in front of a judge for an order, you have to go to mediation. Um, I'm based in, I I primarily am in Riverside and San Bernardino where it's recommending counseling. So you go to mediation and that mediator makes a recommendation. You're in LA County and they don't make that recommendation. You go to mediation. If nothing happens, then you go in front of the judge. Um, In terms of over the last decade or so have you seen a change in in terms of what judges do um both on those initial hearings in terms of custody for dads and what dads end up with now um i have and i and i think it's driven more by more men are stepping up and saying i want to be a dad i want to be an active engaged father i'm a great dad i need to be in my kid's life and i am willing to work my life around having more flexibility and more time um, you know, one of the things I tell guys, it, 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 I call it the three P's. And, you know, if you want to have more time with your kid, it's proximity. You've got to be close to their school. You've got to be close to mom. It's paperwork. You've got to have a paper trail of what is your actual availability? What is your actual engagement with the kids? Show the judge what you're actually doing. And then it's persistence. You're going to go back to court. I would say at least two to four times to get what you want. It's very rare that you're going to walk into court and go, hi, your honor. I'm a great dad. Let me have 50% custody. Like Mm -hmm. that's, that's hard because most of the times men have left the house. So now the kid is with mom. It's presumed that they're going to be with mom. And now we're fighting an uphill battle. 
we're trying to claw back time from mom. And if she doesn't want to give it up, she's going to have a lot of reasons why you're not going to get the time. And so we have to fight that. We have to fight that because we also have to fight that you're not losing work hours to lower your income, to lower your child support. You're reconfiguring your work schedule so you're there for the kids after school so that you can have overnights during the week. Mm-hmm. So there's all these uphill battles that we have to fight that guys aren't really aware of until they come into my office and they've already like shot themselves in the foot. And now we're trying to like undo that. I think a big piece of it's cultural too. When you have, uh, when, when, when I have those initial conversations, like I said, it's not uncommon for them to have moved out. It's not uncommon for them to have made kind of one of the major mistakes that's kind of going to have to be cleaned up. Um, but the, the number one thing I always, I have to have conversations with guys around that is that there's so much pressure from their co-parent, from yeah. their co-parents, mom, aunt, cousins, friends on mom knows best. You can't take the kids away from mom. And, yeah. and, and a lot of clients come in with real concerns that like, Hey, am I doing something wrong by saying that I want more custody, that I want more time, that I want them to live with me at least part of the time. And it's something that kind of mentally or just societally, culturally needs to be unwound. Absolutely. And and, and we're getting there. More men are stepping up, you know, as we're kind of moving away from boomers and Gen X and we're into like Gen Z, millennials, that's our new clientele realistically who are dads they have a very different attitude. They are much more like, I want to be a father. I want to be a stay-at-home dad. I don't see any reason why I can't have my kids. Um, but yeah, we, we're definitely having to overcome that presumption that, well, moms are just better. They're more nurturing because men are just, you know, they make the bacon and, and moms take care of the kids. It's like, well, that was a story that was told in the 50s. It's not a very good reality. And in today's world, we really need men to step up, and particularly if men have boys. You know, behind me, you can see there's a book called The Boy Crisis by Dr. Warren Farrell, mm-hmm. which is a really, really big read. I mean, the book is like full of lots of academic reading, and it's a hard book to get through, but it's crucial for my clients who have boys because going into today's society in the school system, they're fed this whole thing about the future is female. Boys are bad. Boys are ADHD. Boys are too aggressive. Toxic masculinity. It's like, okay, wait, stop. Let's take a look at what's really going on here. And if you don't give a boy a strong male role model, you're going to end up with a lot of problems. So courts are starting to see that as men are coming to the courts and saying, I need to be more part of my kid's life. So that's one of the big changes is, yes, men are asking for it. And courts are recognizing the need for it. Yeah, I think I think your generational thing is is a really nice point as well, too, because thinking about it, if I have a 20 something year old or even 30 something year old come in, they may look at me and say, I know this is going to be difficult. I know dads get screwed, but I want 50 50 custody, Um, whereas the older clients, like maybe if they're 40, 50, 60, I think I have all the way up into the 80s. they, uh, they almost never, I mean, they, they, uh, there'll be some of them that'll come in and they'll say, yeah, I just, I know how this works. I'm going to get every other weekend. That's cool. Um, right. but, but if I get a 21 year old comes in, there is no way they're not saying I want 50, 50 custody. I want to be equal. Yeah. Which I think is great. I think is a really good thing. I think we're in, we're in the chum of that mix as we're like trying to make the transition. Because we still have judges who were in their 50s and 60s and 70s and one or two maybe in their 80s. And they've got their own biases. You know, I mean, judges, as much as they try to be objective and bias free, you can't get away from it. You're going to have your biases. They grew up with their views of what men and women are. And so we have to overcome that, too. Yeah, and I, I tell people, and, and, and compared to, to how long you've been doing this, I, I've been here for just a small blip. Um, but but I, I've over the last year, I keep telling people the next two to five years is when you're going to start seeing major change because there is that shift now. Um, there is that traction, and you talk to people who have been around for been 
in this space, been trying to get legislation for 15, 20 years. And they talk about how this was a fringe belief, how you were radical if you believed in equal and shared parenting. And now we see polling data that that voters with 80 and 90 percent rates in state by state say that equal and shared parenting would be what's best. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, we're going to have um, I think we're going to have some some kickback, particularly in California. I think as that becomes more and more of a thing, there's going to be more and more pressure from the feminist lobby to push for the DVROs. I mean, I, I remember talking with a, a pretty big guy in the father's rights movement about this. And he was saying, yeah, we're definitely going to have a lot of kickback, but I think it's unfortunately necessary um, to, to get to the battle, to get to the real battle of 50, 50. Yeah. And when, when people ask what the problem is with going in directly, number one is these, whether it's women's groups or domestic violence groups have been pushing and lobbying and are much larger and much more well-funded. And they've been doing it for 50, 60 years. And it's much harder. It's much easier for an elected official to vote in favor of the most restrictive and punitive domestic violence law right. than it is to step back and be nuanced about what are the actual consequences of this legislation. It's it's, it's very sympathetic. You know, we 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 have a very sympathetic community to women and children, and, and it's always been that way. And I don't know. I don't know that that's going to change. Um, that initial sympathy, because there is the mother bond, there is that, you know, Disney princess model of, of the way the world is supposed to work, where you on your white horse is supposed to come and save her from, from, you know, the big bad dragon. It's like, well, things are changing, but I don't know that the women and children first mentality is ever going to totally go away. And from a politician standpoint, that which is safest is always going to be their first line of attack. You know, they're always going to say yes to that, which is safest. And if yeah. it's, you know, tough on crime and lock up all the child molesters and, you know, protect all the women and what is it like end all rape? I'm like, okay, let, let's, yeah, I'm down with that. I'm just not sure you're going to be able to do it. Yeah. goes back to the nuance piece of it. Can't, right. Is a legislator going to take the time and the minute they vote in favor or they start championing something that we've seen this throughout the country, where the opposition will start running ads about they don't care about the victims of domestic violence and they aren't out there to protect the children. And, and it can be a tough, it can be at times in certain areas of the country, a toxic political pill to swallow. So, so quick side note, I live in Santa Monica, California, which is like, you know, the bastion of like crazy liberal insanity, you know, home of the homeless, nuclear free wars on all that good stuff. Um, and so we have a commission on the status of women, which basically doesn't do very much. They, they put out a report and, and they don't have any men on the commission. So I'm like, maybe I should apply. So I apply and I made a good argument. I mean, I'm a single gay man. I'm a lawyer. I've done lots of domestic violence in the court system. I recognize women and I've presented men on both sides of the case. One of the politicians in our city council, was talking to a friend of mine who said, yeah, he probably would be good. There's not a chance I could vote for him. I would get destroyed on election. You could not put me on that on that commission because it's just too politically incorrect. And, and we still live with that. Like even in like the bastion of liberalism, Santa Monica, they're still very hyper aware of the politics of everything. If you're a politician. Yeah. 100%. I've had, I've had conversations with politicians in even I'm in a little bit more, especially if you go into Southern Riverside County, if you go into Orange County, um, yeah. those are either purple or red areas. And they're still hyper aware of the appearance of what could be what could be levied against them if they put their support behind Always. something like equal and shared parenting. Always. Which I think is a shame because, I mean, the reality, I think, from the perspective of somebody that's been doing this for a long time, once we actually get to equal and shared parenting and once that becomes more a norm, we will actually see less fighting in the courts. We will see less damage to the kids because study after study after study has shown it is not the divorce that's actually damaging to the kids. It's not having two households. It's not mommy has a new boyfriend or girlfriend. Daddy has a new boyfriend or girlfriend. 
it's the fighting between mom and dad that causes the internal angst and anxiety and neuroses in the children because they're dealing with that and they internalize that. They can handle two homes easily. They adapt quickly. Mm -hmm. If it's a peaceful breakup, kids are fine. Well, there's, I think, I think it is actually some of Warren Farrell's studies that it's not the kids going back and forth is not an issue for them. It actually helps them because they know in a very short period of time, they're going to be with the other parent. They're with one parent and they know in the very near future, they're going to get to see mom in the very near future. They're going to get to see dad. What's damaging is, is like you said, the fight and then going long periods of time without seeing the other parent. Yeah. Yeah. It's horrible. And you know, for us as lawyers, like, I don't know how much education you're doing of your judges, but that's something we have to educate our judges on. You know, when we file our memorandum of points and authorities, like that's something that we need to be putting in there that, you know, your honor, you need to be aware Like this is what studies are showing that the two, two, three, three, five, three, four is really good for the kids in the long run. And, And the judges, this is where their bias comes in of, well, kids need stability. Not so much, actually. What they really need is consistency, not stability. Yeah, definitely. All right, so we're going to take a quick commercial break here. On the back end, we're going to talk about uh, Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie, maybe some Trevor Bauer. So we'll see you guys on the other side. You love your children and want them to have everything. How about both parents? Introducing Equal Shared Parenting Benefits Program. The program is very simple. Sign up. Download the app, access services. Equal Shared Parenting Benefits Program offers access to medical market, telemedicine, mental wellness, medical bill negotiation and advocacy, chronic care, and a wellness savings program with membership add-ons available soon, like prepaid legal services, prepaid college savings plans, prepaid identity theft protection services, and much more. Annual memberships starting at just $35 a month. Here's what our members say about us. You guys are a huge blessing in my life. This community is amazing. I truly thank you for all that you do. Learn more and sign up at www.tfrm.org. Equal Shared Parenting Benefits Program. It's about the children. They're today and they're tomorrow. All right, welcome back. I'm Mark Real here with Dave Pizarro tonight. Um, and we'll, we'll change the topic. What would it be uh, to California family law attorneys not talking about the craziness that happens in Southern California? So I think probably the most high profile or the headline grabbing uh, divorce proceeding over the last several years, really probably around the world, has been Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, which recently has, uh, ha- has had some interesting turns in it, to say the least. Um, David, do you want to kind of give a little bit of background about what has happened and really what Brad Pitt's gone through? Sure. Um, you know, Brad and Angelina, they adopted a bunch of kids. And then when their marriage kind of fell apart, she decided that she was going to kind of paint him as this alcoholic, abusive father. Sound familiar? Kind of a standard playbook, right? Um, and, and really, I think what this was, was aside from like any psychological issues, which I can't opine on her behavior is indicative of somebody that was trying to get sole legal and sole physical custody that she was asking for mostly that she, so she could move. Like she was trying to get him out of the kids' lives so that she could move to, I believe it was London. Um, you know, and this is sort of your stereotypical narcissistic parental alienation type stuff is what we were seeing going on there. And, and for these two people that have tremendous resources, I mean, just think about Clash of Titans. Like, that's what this case was. They both hired, like, the most high-profile lawyers that you could find in town and threw vast amounts of money at each other. And there were supervised visitation monitors for Brad. And there were, I'm sure, child custody evaluations and, and lawyers battling over everything and her running into court for ex partes. And, and the reality is that the court, after all of this, after at one point I was asked my opinion on how much they spent, and I said they probably each spent about $10 million apiece, um, if not more. The court came back and said, basically, he could die. Let, let him have city. 
And, and that's basically what they ended up with. And, and from my perspective, I'm looking at this and going, here's something that I really hope makes the judges start paying attention to how much they need to take control and stop the fighting. They need to be able to put some, some measures in place to stop these lawyers that are just generating bills and bogus fighting. Because I see that all the time. I'm sure you do too, where it's like, we're going into court and, and the, the allegations are just laughable. And, and they were the same thing with Brad. I mean, you know, one of the big allegations on why he was abusive was they were on one of their private jets and he had a beer or two and had a teenage son who got a little mouthy. And so he did what most fathers do and got a little bit bigger and yelled a little bit and maybe pushed him a bit. And that's considered like abuse in today's environment. From my perspective, I'm like, yeah, I would have been happy if that's all that would have happened to me. Like when I got mouthy, it's like bad things happen. You know, so they were bootstrapping off of what was essentially a good father's mo parenting moment and turning that into abuse. And that was kind of like the, the start of this whole thing. And I think that's that's a thing that happens in a lot of cases. And and I, I would say the majority of my cases are in Riverside and San Bernardino. So I don't see as many trials. I think after a, for a couple of trips to court and the bills show up um, just financially, I, I don't necessarily see the protracted litigation. But I think, like you said, the $10 million a piece, I've seen figures, I've seen it, I've seen in the media, $1 million each, $5 million each, $10 million each, like projecting $50 million total. Um, yeah, there's, there's no way they spent only a million each. Yeah. There's and, no way. <laughs> and, and, but, it, but I think it, it illuminates a major issue. Probably the, one of the bigger beefs I have with the way California family courts operate. And that is, it's a, it's a pay to play operation. And I'm not talking about having an attorney. I'm talking about, um, if you make the littlest allegation, some judges will just immediately go to professional supervised visits. And it's like you've made a hearsay allegation of someone who's raised a kid for three, five, seven, ten years, and now you're going to make them pay three hundred dollars a week or five hundred dollars a week to have some time with their kid with someone who did twenty four hour class. I think it's twenty four hours worth of class, and you can be a visitation supervisor in the state of California. Yeah, it's, it's laughable. So there's no qualifications. Yeah, some of them are retired law enforcement. Some of them are social workers. But the vast majority of them, it's it's just a way to make a buck. They really aren't going to do anything, and they really serve no purpose, and they aren't necessary. But the dad has to foot that bill a lot of times. Right, because that's a way in which mom is exerting, and here's that phrase, coercive control. Because if he can't afford to see the kids, well, then he can't see the kids, which yeah. gives her – more time with the kids, which means his child support goes up. So he's got less money to now pay for the supervised monitor. Yeah, no, that that's, that's all a giant scam. I mean, Frank, from, I, I tell my guys all the time, it's like, this is a scam. It's a giant scam. It's very rare that I have somebody that really truly has enough anger issues or is so lacking in self-control that they really do need a supervised visitation monitor. Agreed. 100%. I think it's it's a way of just like granting the TRO for something that is completely laughable that it could even occur or very questionable. Um, right. You A judge can order, hey, well, until we get to the bottom of this, we're going to do professionally supervised visitation. Or they give the mom the power like, oh, you got to find someone who mom agrees to do it or you got to pay a professional. And right. so what's mom going to do? There's almost no way if judges throw something vague out there that mom's going to agree to such an arrangement. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. You know, and the other thing that, that I see a lot of judges and, and, and moms do is they empower the child to such a degree that it just seems absurd to me. I've got a case right now where dad is a very successful businessman. Dad is not an alcoholic, doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, doesn't do drugs has made many millions of dollars, super rich guy, literally is not allowed to, to reprimand his child because any time that he says anything to his kid, puts any boundary, any limit on him, kid runs right to mom, dad's being mean to me. Oh, you can't see him anymore, you're being mean to the kid. 
and the, the the supervised monitor and or the parenting coordinator depending on which one is it is that day because we've got both mm-hmm. is like dad you can't, you can't do that to john johnny does not need you being mean and abusive to him like literally setting actual parenting boundaries and limits is considered abusive if you're a man yeah one one hundred percent. And then the other thing you always have to tell guys is like, hey, you got like, hey, she may have used the spatula or a sandal or a shoe, and you used your belt during the marriage. That has to stop right now because you will get the kids taken away. All they have to do is run to the court, file for a domestic violence restraining order. You'll get the kids taken away for three weeks, and twenty one days from now, we're going to be fighting for you having any parental rights at all. Essentially, exactly. Exactly, and which is stupid and absurd, and and, it, and and most guys can't afford it. I mean, I, you know, we, we talk about Brad and Angelina, and their lawyers were you know a thousand, fifteen hundred bucks an hour, and associates seven hundred fifty dollars an hour, and paralegals at four hundred dollars an hour. Like like that's clash of the titans, just sucking giant sums of money out of rich people. Yeah, which which is not the vast bulk of, of lawyers, thankfully. But, but the reality is that like you and I, it's like, we're still several hundred dollars an hour. Like no matter what, it's like, we are expensive. Like it's just the way life is. And, and so you've got a lot of guys who are cut off at the knees financially. They've been kicked out of their apartment. They don't have a place to live. Sometimes the tools are kept from them and they're struggling to like get back on their feet and they need help. And, and that's, you know, one of the things that I try and do with my podcast and you're doing with this podcast and, you know, I've got my online course and I've got my videos on YouTube that are all designed to like help guys get into court with something if they can't afford a lawyer because most of them can't. Yeah, that's and, and it goes back to the, the the pay to play every single thing. In, in my opinion, a lot of the third parties that get involved in courts are decisions that the judge could and should make. That's what they're there to do. Um, I understand there are issues when there needs to be a professional evaluation done. There needs to be someone brought in because there's actual mental health concerns. But the number of times that the, out here it's 3111 or 730 evaluation gets ordered on a case that just is high conflict is amazing. And you look at it and it's like, okay, yeah, both parents, uh, you've got lawyers bills to pay. You're trying to survive child support, all this stuff. Hey, you're going to need to go each pay $4,000 or some judges. If the dad's the non-custodial parent will say, Hey, you're the one that needs to get this done. You're going to need to go foot the bill for $8,000 up front to get this evaluation started. Yeah. I love the phrase subject to reallocation later, meaning maybe we'll make mom contribute later. Like that's going to happen. Yeah. And, and it's, it's like, it's not feasible. And what, what's the judge doing there? What's the system designed to do? If you show up for help, I mean, it's a public service and then they refer you to a private business and say, you have to pay thousands of dollars for us to make a decision. It doesn't make logical sense. Yeah, it, it really doesn't. I mean, the, the whole system is completely screwed. I mean, it, it, it if I was in charge, if, if, you know, by some miracle, like God came down and was like, hey, Dave, you get to plan the whole new system. I would go immediately to like a 50-50 presumption. And, I, and like you're not allowed to move outside the county that you're in if you have a kid there. You can move, but the kids stay in. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's the other thing that happens is the move ways of, oh, I'm, I have to now move to Kansas because my mom's bought me a house and I have better job opportunities and Bobby and Susie are coming with me and dad will get more time in the summer. Well, that's bullshit. Dad's not getting enough time in the summer to make up for the time he's losing throughout the year. Yeah, and, and, and that goes back to the pay for play. I have two of those right now where the mom goes to move away and it automatically gets a 3111 evaluation ordered uh, and the judge orders the cost split. I'm like, your honor, my, my client wants things to stay status quo. He hasn't done anything. This is her. And so I, I haven't, I have a case where it's been six times. She's went to the courts to request to move away. And it's like, this is a pattern. Why are, my, my client doesn't want anything to change. She should be the one to have to, no, they both have interest in the outcome of this. I'm going to make them both pay. 
Yeah. And so right there, dad gets drugged to court. He not only does he hire me, he now gets stuck with four or $5,000 in a 3111 evaluation that he's going to have to pay over the course of just three months. And, and honestly, I, I think you're kind of lucky if you're getting off that cheap. I mean, I, I mean, that sounds like a, a, an asshole thing for me to say, but like, pardon my language, but you can say whatever you want on this show. Oh, that's good. Now we're, now we're going to have some fun. Um, because I, I've seen those same sort of evaluations that 3111 is, you know, a child custody evaluation for those that don't know. And I've had them run into 40, 50, $80,000. Like this stuff gets really expensive really quickly, depending on the evaluators. And all of a sudden, if they smell money or they smell, there's a reason to justify something. You're into some high stakes games here real quick. Yeah, that's, that, that's obviously, uh, that that's one of them. And, and you, you live in a different world over there on the North side of Los Angeles uh, compared to, uh, to, to the peasants out here in the Inland empire. But uh, no, I mean, I think, I think, I, I don't know if you've had an opportunity to read the, the most, I guess the, the recent book that's been hot in this space, Greg Ellis, the respondent, he talks about, Hey, he had to go up and gather $30,000 to pay for a retainer for an attorney. Like that's just the cost to play in some areas of, not just Southern California, but some areas of the country. Absolutely. I, I mean, I've got, you know, I, yes, I do most of my work on the West side of Los Angeles. You know, I've gone into Orange County occasionally up to Ventura. I got a case in Santa Barbara, but I've practiced as far North as Redding. And, mm. and you know, Redding is rural. <laughs> it was literally like a full day travel to get there. Yeah. So and it was small town and that was a high stakes case where the, a lot of people were involved a lot of money was at stake with the kids and it was international custody stuff. But the reality is that across the country, people are spending huge amounts of money fighting when they shouldn't have to fight in the first place. Why is it dads have to fight for custody? Why isn't that just the presumption? You know, nobody's really asking that question that that meme that's starting to go around, like stop asking why didn't he fight harder why does he have to fight at all i think is a really good meme i think it's a really valid point like yeah. why are we even having to have a fight yeah I, I completely agree i think that's a good transition into to one of the things you're really providing and helping uh dads with it's something that, that i've actually had the opportunity to go through um and, and i use a lot of the stuff with with my clients but um you, you have a course called Dad's Action Pack where I, the, the main purpose, there's a lot of really valuable information. And if you look at the bottom of the screen here, uh, David's been kind enough to provide us a discount code um, to the course. Um, you're, if you're interested in taking a look at it, like I said, for me, even being an attorney, I found it very valuable in terms of there's a lot of golden nuggets uh, that you can, you can glean from that. Um, but the, the major thing you have is, is, positioning yourself early in the case and that initial declaration. So do you want to talk about what you, what a man needs to do early in the case in terms of positioning himself and showing that he's a good dad? I, I do because, you know, one of the things that's always a problem in, in, in our cases is dads come in and they're like, I'm a great dad. I want my 50% custody. And, and that's great. I'm glad you want that. If you tell that to a judge, You've just told him the sky is blue and I want half of it. And it's like, okay, that's like no news there, dude. Like, come on, give me something. So if you're going to be going into court for yourself, you have to have a declaration that explains to the judge, here's what I know about my kids and here's why I'm a great dad. Like, I'm not just saying I'm a great dad, but I'm a great dad that knows who their best friends are who knows what their food allergies are, who knows what their food likes are, what their favorite sports are, what their favorite characters are, their clothing sizes, all of that information that you need to gather about your kids to show to a judge that you are actually the active and engaged parent that you need to be because guaranteed mom's going to be coming into court saying he's not a great dad. He doesn't know the kids doctors. He doesn't know what kind of medications they're on. He doesn't know their food allergies. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't. And we need to be coming into court and showing the judge before you even get in front of the judge, you've got to have a presence in front of that person that says, I've got my act together. 
because you know we all think that first impressions matter well the first impression in a court of law is not when you showing up in a suit the first impression is you showing up in a declaration in the response to that request for orders because that's what a judge is going to read about you and that's going to set their mind for who is this person that's going to be in front of me are they using proper grammar are they using proper spelling do they actually show up in court properly dressed have they done the paperwork the way they're supposed to that shows me they know the way the system works because if you show up with everything like in our in my dad's action pack one of the things i talk about it is you know the great dad declaration and being able to show the judge that you actually have been spending time with your kids because the big argument that every mom says is he never spends any time with the kids okay where's your proof dad well we went to the movies and we went to the park and we went to the lego land and we did sea world okay great do you have pictures of that well yeah they're on my phone okay do you have any receipts well yeah they're at home i can get them no you really needed to have all that stuff submitted before you got to court and that's the sort of thing i teach in the dad's action pack is when you're preparing your declaration you need to have those photos print them out use them as exhibits you need to have those receipts stapled to a calendar that becomes part of your exhibits in the declaration so that when mom comes into court and says dad's never around the judge is looking at a calendar and going mom you're lying here's the receipts here's the calendar that shows dad's already given me the proof that's cutting your lie your perjury off and that's one of the reasons why i created the dad's action pack is because this is stuff that dads need to know going into court and nobody teaches them in, in in you know the self-help courses and when lawyers are trying to like land a client they're not going to say this is what you got to do and so i built the dad's action pack a lot of people have bought it and, and liked it and they've gotten a lot of benefit from it i'm proud of it because i think it's something that in 90 minutes will show a dad who doesn't know what he's doing how to at least get started and, and one of the things i talk about in the course is you know how do you present yourself to the judge you know, most people hire lawyers for two reasons. One reason is they don't know what to say. They don't know how to talk, so they freeze up. And the other is they don't know what to say, but they just ramble. They just talk themselves out of a winning position. And so what I'm saying in, in our course is here's how you present yourself to the judge. Here's how you create bullet points. Here's how you stay on point. And here's how when you're talking to the judge and all of a sudden your mouth goes dry, and time is compressed and you're thinking like, oh my God, I haven't said anything. Yeah, I'm teaching you how to speak, how to present to a judge, how to get your confidence back, how to show up to judge and be assertive but not aggressive. Because aggressive will guarantee you're gonna lose. Assertive, you got a much better shot at getting what you ask for. Yeah, so I put the link uh, in the bio, mensfamilylawcenter.com slash action pack. And the code on that to get the discount is TFRM. So, um, like I said, great resource, especially. I know we have a lot of people that come on here that, hey, I can't afford an attorney. I don't have an attorney right now. This is going to provide you a lot of valuable information on how to, to present yourself to the court. So, we're, uh, we're wrapping up. We're coming close to the end of our hour here. So, we'll hop in and take some questions. Um, do you want to dive down the uh, child support rabbit hole? Sure. That's Let's always fun. Okay. So uh, a little bit of, I guess, a, a, a Hollywood twist to it. So um, what about the Halle Berry case? Are, are you familiar with the, the article that came out or the quotes that came out from Halle Berry? I did. I, briefly. I'm not really up fully up to speed, but it's my understanding that Halle is kind of upset that she has to pay a huge child support. I think it's like $200,000 a month. To what's his name, Gabriel or somebody, yeah. um, which which is a stupid amount of money for child support. I mean, no kid in in America needs that much money to be supported, and, and I agree with her. The problem is that a state like California, where we have two systems. One, we have a guideline, a computer system. We plug in the amount of time, the amount of income from mom, income from dad. Boom, it spits out a number. When you get into the really high earners, which Hallie is, like the Brad and Angelina level of superstars, the computer program won't work. 
So judges have this like high wage earner escape clause and they go into that and then they start trying to figure out like, well, what's really going to be fair because we want each family to have essentially equivalent households. You don't want one person living in Hearst mansion and one living in, you know, a, a little cold water flat somewhere down in, in the middle of the city. So that's one of the reasons why in that case, the child supports hires to equalize the living environment of the two, of the two homes. I don't think it's right, but it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, you look at it, and, and I see it on a day-in, day-out basis. I think one of the biggest struggles men face early in a case is the situation here, um, where filing, and, and depending on the courthouse you're in, um, it could take you four or five months before you're actually in front of a judge. Um, oh, yeah, easy. And, and I mean, if in several counties, I mean, it's not an immediate thing. You're at least 10 weeks out probably anywhere in, in Southern California. And uh, what, what ends up happening is child support can be backdated to the date of filing. And you see when that, that the man gets kind of the raw deal on the initial custody and all of a sudden gets hit or a situation where there's the domestic violence allegations and they get zero on the DISO master, um, then uh, that's the system they use. Sorry, a little lawyer yeah. term there um, that, that the numbers get put in. And all of a sudden he has $12,000, $18,000, $30,000 of back child support in arrears that he didn't know about until he was ordered to pay child support on that day. Or the one that, that, that happens frequently that I wish more men would not do is they give them cash every month here's $500 cash for child support here's $500 cash for child support meanwhile mom has filed a complaint for child support and maybe given a not completely accurate address so that that period keeps growing and growing and growing and he's making all these payments but meanwhile the court's actually incurring all of these other charges so that yeah. he ends up, you know, six months down the road, finally finding out like, oh, there's a child support case because, yeah, they found his bank account and took all his money. And he's like, wait, I've been paying child support. And it's like, oh, okay, great. Where's your proof? Well, I gave her cash. Okay, so you expect her to tell the truth about that? Yeah. I mean, that's on it. I'm like. You want money orders, you want cashier's checks, you want PayPal, you want Zelle, you want Venmo, you want something that you can track your payments on. Yeah, 100%. And I've, I've even had, it's worse in some states. I had a, a Texas attorney on probably about three months ago. And in the state of Texas, they can go back four years. So you could have been paying cash for four years, or there are situations where the individual didn't even know they had a child and wasn't told about it until the attorney general's office uh, does the administration of it in Texas, yeah. the woman goes to the attorney general's office and says, he's the dad, I need child support. And they go after all of it. Oh, brutal. I think the biggest struggle, child support, unfortunately, and this may not be the most popular um, opinion, but in some instances it's necessary. The system in play, there needs to be a system. But yeah. for me, there needs to be guardrails to protect poverty and there needs to be a little bit more discretion in terms of if there's a weird situation. Like, I mean, out here, it's there. I mean, you work a seasonal job and let's say let's say you work retail or, or you work in the fitness industry and you have to show your pay stubs from Q1 in the fitness industry when everybody's joining the gym. Right. And all of a sudden, December comes and nobody's joining the gym and your paychecks are half of what they were. Well, you're stuck because you had to provide your last three pay stubs and they went off of that. Right. But that's really, I mean, honestly, that's one of those where like you should be going into court with a whole year's worth of them and making the argument to annualize it. Yeah. But that's really the way that argument should be made. But I, I think, I think the, the other thing, I think maybe seeing it less and less, I think that I, I guess as I, I get deeper into the system, but dads make that mistake early on. And if you make a mistake on the child support piece, Oh. There's really no going back on it. So the other big mistake that that guys, I've got a case right now. Guy had a nice high flying job, quarter million dollars a year, 
paying like 1500 bucks a month child support job goes away and he doesn't go into court to change the order he's got no income he should be right into court the next day like i need to have that lowered and yeah, he doesn't and the problem is, is like if you go in right away at least the court has some like discretion to go back and they're going to say well let's wait 30 or 60 90 days and see if you get a job and not make any changes and we'll come back but at least you've got that period to come back to to lower it but if you don't do anything that that dollar amount's going to continue and once it's owed it is owed you are not getting out from under that money yeah i think uh the coming out of the pandemic that's been a common one too guy yeah. walks in hey i haven't been able to pay child support because i lost my job last april yeah well we're not going to be able to do anything about anything that you you owe from that time or, or the ones like you said that the job 30 60 90 days yeah. uh the guy who doesn't do anything for a year the arrears back up and then when we do get into court for it he's got a new job and so they use that hey <laughs> Yeah. So that's uh um yeah that that's I think the the pandemic I think uh increase for at least least uh from what I've seen increased the number of cases involving that. Definitely. Definitely made it much worse. I mean it's been a bad situation for years and the pandemic just made it way worse. So it's a bit of a a long question we'll kind of parse through it here. So um Dalton's question here. So I think the gist of the question is that he is content. He has taken the mother of his children to court several times and he's struggling to get any traction from the judge to allow him access. Um, what are some things that, that a dad maybe that's struggling to get traction in court, they're trying to do all the right things. What are some things they can do to help um, maybe improve their case to the judge? Well, this is where the, the you know, the, to be shamelessly self-plugging is that the dad's action fact really addresses this issue with the declaration of what are you showing the judge? Because I'm wondering why he doesn't have joint custody. Like what's going on there? What are the allegations that mom made so that he has no interest in this kid? That's the part that like, we've got to overcome that first to get back on, on the playing field. And then once you're back on the playing field, then it's like, okay, now let's show the judge how you're going to be an active engaged dad. Have you done an online parenting class? Have you done first aid class? Have you done CPR class? What do you know about early childhood development? What do you know about your kid and what they like to do? What sports do they engage in? What games do they like to play? And that's the stuff that you got to like start showing the judge that, you know, this is why you need to have more involvement because you don't know this stuff, but you want to know. Yeah, I think that uh, one, one of the big things I always talk about is building your theme. You're only in front of a judge a couple times a year, and they have hundreds of other cases that come in front of them. That, that declaration and just you have to repeat yourself. You saying it once verbally in court or saying it once in a declaration isn't going to do it. You have to keep repeating yourself. You have to build a theme. And, and depending on your state, I, I've had attorneys on, I, Oklahoma is one that comes to mind, that they, once they have a temporary order in place, that is essentially the order until you go to trial. You're stuck with it. You get one bite at the apple. That's not necessarily the case in California. Um, I, I've seen situations where you maybe can go back a couple of times, and if you show you're really trying, you build that theme, they may give in a little bit more each time. Um, but a lot of that's going to depend on your state because some states, once you once you get something, you either have to go to trial to get it changed or there has to be some change in circumstance. Yeah. And it very much depends on the judge that you drew. Yeah, that that's a that, that that's a big one. I think even in the the equal and shared, I, I've seen I've, I've noticed there are definitely some judges um, yeah. in the courts that I frequent that it's when you get in front of them. You're like, thank you. Like this is this is going to operate much smoother because the minute mom says I want full legal and physical custody, she's going to look at her. He's going to look at her and say, why? Explain to me why they shouldn't be with their dad at all. And that, that can be very helpful. While some judges will, if mom says she wants it all, dad says he wants 50-50. Oh, we'll just split it up here. Dad will get every other weekend and get that 25%. Standard dad package. Yep.
All right, so we're, we're closing in on, I guess we just crossed the hour mark, so um, we'll wrap it up here. So I want to thank you, David, for, for coming on tonight. So for our viewers, you can find David on YouTube and Instagram at Men's Family Law. Uh, he also has a podcast uh, on iTunes, uh, Men's Family Law Podcast. So I think you can probably just search him on any social media at Men's Family Law, and you will be able to find him. And I'll put the link again in the comments if you're interested in checking out what the Dad's Action Pack is about and the Great Dad Declaration and some different uh, different tips and tricks that uh, David shares in that course. Uh, that's mensfamilylawcenter.com slash action pack. And if you put the code TFRM in there, uh, you'll get $27 off of the course. So... Uh, once again, David, I want to thank you so much for coming on, providing uh, so much knowledge to our viewers. Uh, to our viewers, uh, I, we will be back next Thursday. Next Thursday, I'll actually be live from St. Louis, Missouri um, at the Americans for Equal and Shared Parenting Legislative Training Conference. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll be a little bit different next week, but uh, we will see everyone next Thursday. And David, once again, thank you.